afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, Executive Chair of the Cancer Support Community. For more than 35 years, we at the Cancer Support Community have been a relentless ally for anyone impacted by cancer. We help individuals manage the realities of this disruptive disease and get back to normal. Whether accessing our free services in person at one of our 175 locations, online or over our toll-free helpline, you're getting a team of licensed professionals providing patient navigation, financial counseling, genetic counseling, counseling, pediatric support, and more. So with the summer months approaching, I've been seeing reminders on TV, online, I'm sure you have too, in magazines, to protect our skin from the sun and its harmful rays, and to see a dermatologist every year for a skin cancer screening. I'm sure you've been seeing uh, these ads and notes, and you see the sunscreen out now in the drugstores. Um, the reality is that there are many forms of skin cancer. Some are better known than others. Today, in this episode of our special series, Spotlight on Skin Cancer, we're going to take a look at two forms of advanced skin cancer, advanced basal and squamous skin cancers. Joining us for this conversation are Dr. Robert Ferris and Dr. Emily Smith, who are going to help us better understand these cancers, their diagnosis and treatment. But before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about these two amazing guests. Dr. Robert Ferris is the director of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Hillman Cancer Center, the region's only National Cancer Institute designated comprehensive cancer center. He also also serves as the Associate Vice Chancellor for Cancer Research, Hillman Professor of Oncology, and Professor of Otolaryngology, of Immunology, and of Radiation Oncology at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. That's a mouthful. We're going to learn more about what all that means. He co-directs the Tumor Microenvironment Center at Hillman, leads a National Cancer Institute-funded immunotherapy laboratory, and is co-chair of the National Cancer Institute Head and Neck Steering Committee to facilitate prospective clinical trials. Dr. Ferris has published more than 380 peer-reviewed manuscripts, currently serves on several editorial boards, and is the recipient of numerous research and teaching awards. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ferris. Thank you for having me. Dr. Emily Smith, our second guest, is Assistant Professor of Dermatology and Dermatopathology at the University of Missouri-Columbia. Her clinical efforts are concentrated in the evaluation and management of complex cutaneous malignancies, including melanoma, high-risk non-melanoma skin cancer, and Merkel cell carcinoma, amongst others. She leads the multidisciplinary cutaneous oncology and oncodermatology program at Ellis Fischel Cancer Center. Her research efforts are focused focused on the early detection of skin cancer, using technology to improve early diagnosis, particularly for communities without access to dermatologic care. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Smith. Thank you for having me. So our skin is a part of our bodies with which we're really familiar, right? We put a bandage on it when, when, when we get cut, anti-itch cream, when we get a mosquito bite. Some of us spend quite a bit of money on skin care, cleansers, moisturizers to keep it looking at its best. But I would say for all that, most of us really don't know much of its function. So, Dr. Smith, let's go back to some basics, um, maybe back to that sort of high school science class, um, and start with what role 
does the skin play in the human body? What purpose does it serve? That's a great question. Um, Largely, our skin serves as you know, our protective barrier it is the um, barrier between us and the outside environment. And so um, it helps us to maintain our temperature, keeps us warm um, when we need to be warm or cooler when we need to be cool. Um, it's a waterproof barrier, so it protects all of our organs um, from becoming too soggy. Certainly that would not be a, um, a good thing. Um, but it really, you know, the skin is our protective layer and definitely succumbs to the elements that it is exposed to. And Dr. Smith, now that we understand that vital, really vital role that skin plays, can you tell our listeners what essentially what is skin cancer? And I know there are three major types, basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma, and melanoma. Just do a quick breakdown for us. Yeah, so our skin, you know, being exposed to the elements, sunlight um, is is one major element that it is exposed to. And um, there are many different types of cells in the skin, but due to many reasons, sunlight being um, a major um, player, different types of cells in the skin can become mutated and start to overgrow. And when that happens, that is when a cancer develops within the skin. Um, There are three main types, basal cell carcinoma being um, by far the most common. Um, In fact, it is the most common cancer in the world. Um, One in five Americans will make a basal cell carcinoma, so very, very, very common. Um, It is usually a very, very easy thing to treat. I tell all of my patients it is nothing to worry about in most instances. It, It very, very, very rarely spreads elsewhere in the body. Squamous cell carcinoma comes from a different type of cell in the top layer of skin. Um, Also, usually very easy to treat, um, rarely spreads elsewhere in the body, but can and and can do so a little bit more frequently than basal cell carcinoma. And then melanoma is the third most common type. And and we hear a lot about melanoma um, because it has a um, a greater potential to spread elsewhere in the body and can be serious when it's not caught early. So, so Dr. Smith, today's show is about advanced skin cancers, specifically advanced basal and squamous cell skin cancers. Can you tell us about these cancers? What, what, are, what are they? Just talk a little bit more about that. What, and what does it mean when we say that they're advanced beyond what you just described? Yeah, so I will, you know, just summarize again the fact that a very large majority of skin cancers that we see and deal with are are basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma, and most of them are not advanced, meaning they're early, they're small, they can be treated very easily um, in a clinic or an office, um, and don't pose a threat to someone's life. Um, When we're talking about advanced skin cancers, though, um, while these are not common, they are a substantial burden to those who are dealing with them. Um, Advanced can mean a number of different things. It can mean that a skin cancer is very, very large or it is involving important structures of the body, meaning it's growing in and around, you know, an eye, um, an important nerve or muscle. Um, Advanced can also mean that that skin cancer has spread elsewhere in the body. So it has left the skin and it's gone to a lymph node or other other organs. Um, There are a fair number of patients, though, who haven't made, you know, a a big cancer or a cancer that has spread, but a more common scenario is that we will have a patient who just makes dozens or sometimes even hundreds of skin cancers. And so each individual skin cancer is early and easy to treat, but for that patient, just the sheer fact of having a bunch of them makes that an advanced skin cancer scenario. 
Got it. Got it. Uh, Dr. Smith, I think at this point most people are aware of the connection between the sun um, and, and, and skin cancer. Um, you know, I certainly am as someone who's very fair <laughs> and freckled. Um, but that's not the only way that people get skin cancer. What are other known sort of causes or risk factors when it comes to skin cancer? Yeah, that's a great point. Sun is certainly the most um, prominent and what we would say modifiable risk factor, meaning you can prevent, um, to some degree, prevent exposure. Um, But lots of other risk factors come into play. So most of us have, you know, sun exposure. We can't avoid the sun. We're out. We're living our lives. Um, But then there are other risk factors that come into play, increasing one's susceptibility to sun exposure. And so um, one of the the bigger risk factors would be someone who is immunosuppressed, meaning the immune system is being kept quiet for one reason or another. Often that is due to medicines that are given for um, organ transplantation. So people who have had a kidney or a liver transplant are put on organs or medicines to prevent their bodies from rejecting those organs. And in suppressing the immune system, that actually decreases increases your body's ability to keep cancer from growing, um, particularly skin cancer. So having a um, suppressed immune system, either due to medications or another um, type of cancer, particularly a blood cancer, um, can increase one's risk for making skin cancers and certainly increase one's risk for making advanced skin cancers. Um, You know, in general, people who are fair-skinned, you know, um, blonde hair, blue eyes, red hair, freckles are certainly at at risk for making skin cancers. Um, Individuals who have a strong family history of of melanoma are at risk for making melanomas. Um, Genetics play less of a role in basal cell and squamous cell skin cancer risk, um, but to some degree may play a role also. Um, people well, I, uh, I fall in that ginger, yeah. uh, that ginger and freckles category, Doctor Smith. And luckily, just had my uh, my uh, my annual checkup. We're getting towards our break here. I want to bring Doctor Ferris um, into the conversation. Um, Doctor Ferris, I have a feeling that a number of our listeners are wondering what a head and neck surgical oncologist is doing on a show about um, skin cancer. I know we're going to talk a little later about the multidisciplinary team that comes together to care for someone with advanced skin cancer. But before we go to the break here, can you tell our listeners what your role is on the care team for someone diagnosed with advanced skin cancer? Sure, absolutely. Uh, A a head and neck surgeon is uh, often uh, an ear, nose, and throat otolaryngologist is the term, but an ear, nose, and throat can uh, also be a general surgeon or a plastic surgeon. And we work um, in collaboration with uh, dermatologists. And often when the cancers get bigger or involve some other structures, we get involved uh, and often think about not only the tumor, the primary uh, cancer, but the lymph nodes that can be at risk, as Dr. Smith mentioned. Uh, And I would just remind everybody, as I think Dr. Smith and and yourself mentioned, that the head and neck is one of the most sun-exposed areas. And so many skin cancers do end up occurring in the sun-exposed head and neck areas. And so as a head and neck surgeon, uh, ENT doctor, we see a lot of these advanced cancers that unfortunately have grown big, and that's how we get involved. I see. I see. Um, we're we're going to take a, a quick break here. Um, Dr. Smith, when we come back after the break, I really want to start to talk about what are some of the symptoms that people um, experience that cause them to see a doctor, really get into that next step of what is the process of, of, uh, of, of the symptoms, what might they be experiencing, and how, um, you know, how are these skin cancers sort of diagnosed. We're going to get into the diagnosis of these skin cancers. We're going to get into the treatment of these skin cancers, and, and um, uh, I know we're making some progress. 
uh, you know, for sure in the treatment of skin cancers. Um, but we're going to just take a, a, a quick break. Uh, today's episode is part of our special series, a Spotlight on Skin Cancer. Um, we're going to take a look in the show today at two forms of advanced skin cancer, advanced basal and squamous skin cancers. We've got two great doctors with us today, Dr. Robert Ferris, Dr. Emily Smith. are going to help us better understand these cancers, their diagnosis, um, their treatment. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we're, we're, uh, we're in May. We've got these summer months um, uh, approaching. We're seeing reminders on TV, reminders online and magazines um, to protect our skin from the sun and its harmful rays. What a great time. What a great opportunity to uh, talk about these different skin cancers, talk about ways to protect ourselves, how, do, how are these skin cancers diagnosed, how are they detected. So lots more to cover in the show. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. We're going to take a quick break here, but don't go away. We'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by 
Regeneron, and Sanofi Genzyme. I'm your host, Kim Thibodeau. Today we're taking a close look at two types of advanced skin cancers as part of our Spotlight on Skin Cancer series, Advanced Basal and Squamous Skin Cancers. We have two wonderful guests today, Dr. Robert Ferris, who is the director of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Hillman Cancer Center and Associate Vice Chancellor for Cancer Research, Hillman Professor of Oncology and Professor of Otolaryngology, Immunology and Radiation Oncology at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Also joining us today is Dr. Emily Smith, a board-certified dermatologist and dermatopathologist on faculty at the University of Missouri, Columbia, who leads the multidisciplinary cutaneous oncology and oncodermatology program at Ellis Fischel Cancer Center. So let's pick up where we left off before the break, Dr. Smith. Um, Typically, just talk to our listeners about what symptoms people um, may be experiencing on their skin, where and what symptoms um, that cause them to see a doctor or maybe should cause them to see a doctor. Yes, you know, a lot of skin cancers don't cause symptoms initially, um, or at least ones that that patients pick up on. But the ones that do prompt people to come in more quickly for treatment would be, you know, something that doesn't go away. It's new. um, It's growing. Certainly, if it starts to hurt or if it starts to bleed, those are usually reasons that people will find their way in um, to see a a doctor or a dermatologist. Um, Hopefully, people are aware of the signs of skin cancer. We try really hard to educate the public, you know, and so things, again, that are growing um, look different than anything else on their body. Changing size, shape, or color um, may prompt someone to come in also. And then I will say my patients who do have themselves a history of skin cancer really get to know their spots and and know when something is a little worrisome and, and tend to come in a little earlier than those who haven't yet been diagnosed with a skin cancer. And and, and what's the, the guidance or recommendation for visiting a dermatologist? I mean, is it something we should get done regularly, like going to our, you know, regular family doctor, going getting mammogram, things like that? That's a great question. So there are not any national guidelines that support routine skin screenings for the general public, meaning once you turn 18, everyone needs a skin check once a year. Um, But what we do recommend are those who have certain risk factors do need at least a good once over by uh, a primary care doctor or a dermatologist. And that would be someone who has had sunburns in childhood, tanning bed exposure, multiple moles, usually greater than 50 moles on their body, personal history of skin cancer. They're usually looped in already with a dermatologist, but a personal history of skin cancer, those patients need yearly at least skin cancer screenings. Um, And then anyone with a strong family history of melanoma should get at least a baseline skin um, cancer screening, if not yearly skin exams, dependent on other risk factors. And then our patients who are immunosuppressed, I mentioned them previously, but Mm -hmm. they are at risk. And so patients who are immunosuppressed should get yearly skin cancer screenings as well. Yeah, I, like I said earlier, as a redhead with green eyes and lots of freckles, I have my dermatologist on speed dial. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and knows, you should. She knows me well. <laughs> um, Dr. Smith, just talk to us a little bit about sort of the process for making a diagnosis. So you go into the doctor, you're having something unusual, the doctor takes a look, then, you know, then what happens and how do you determine whether it is, um, you know, can, be, can be treated as local or is advanced and, and um, just talk about that process. 
Yeah, so if, if someone comes in um, with a spot they're worried about, either to a primary care doc, a dermatologist, a head and neck surgeon, whomever they're seeing, um, you know, the the provider will take a look at the spot. And then if it's deemed to be worrisome for a number of reasons, usually a biopsy is performed. And while we can be fairly certain, especially as dermatologists using our eyes and other tools in clinic, we have special magnifying glasses, we can be fairly certain of the diagnosis. You always need to look at it under the microscope um, to be absolutely certain. And so the way to do that is to take a little piece of tissue off the skin. It's usually a very easy process done in the clinic. Patients are awake, the skin is numbed, and a little spot is removed. Um, Once it is looked at under the microscope, then we know which of the types of skin cancer it is. And then a combination of what is seen under the microscope, what was seen clinically, meaning how big was the spot, the skin cancer, where was it located on the body? Were there any other symptoms associated with it? Did the physician feel any swollen lymph nodes? Is the patient overall feeling well? Um, Then we take all of those variables into account to determine if it's something that is an early skin cancer that can be treated very, very easily, or is it an advanced skin cancer that warrants an augmented care plan? Got it, got it, got it. Um, Dr. Smith, let's, let's touch on, um, on treatment options. So once you have the diagnosis, whether it's local, advanced, particularly walk us through treatment options for advanced basal and squamous cell skin cancers. Um, what are the treatments? How do they work? What are the, the side effects are we looking at? Are we looking at chemo? Are we looking at radiation? Can you touch on that, please? Yeah. So I will say largely, again, about 90% of our skin cancers are treated with skin surgery alone, often while the patient is awake, very easy. Um, For advanced skin cancers, it's usually a combination of therapies. Um, Almost always surgery in some form is involved, although there are some cases where tumors are too big or involving structures where the tumor or the the cancer can't be cut out. Um, There are options for radiation therapy, um, which can be pretty well tolerated. Um, And then we have other things we can use, some injections, um, sometimes we'll use creams and, and other things, um, but we do have systemic medicines as well, um, infusions that can be given, either chemotherapy, um, there are other types of infusions that specifically target some of the mutations that occur um, in skin cancers. There are pills that can target some of the mutations that occur in skin cancers and keep them from growing or cause them to shrink. Um, and then more recently, we have been uh, more frequently using immunotherapy, which is a type of um, anti-cancer therapy that helps to stimulate the immune system to fight the cancer. They all come with different sets of side effects, but um, largely are tolerable um, with some you know, exceptions that we manage as they come up. And, and Dr. Smith, just quickly, how do you determine which treatment plan um, to recommend? Tell us more about the process and, and, and who you might you know, bring in as part of that process. So it's usually not a unilateral decision when we're when we're dealing with advanced basal cell or squamous cell skin cancer. Um, often these patients are seen by specialists, um, and and a conversation is had amongst a multidisciplinary team to decide which treatment option is best. Um, for some of the more straightforward cases, we have really good guidelines on how to treat, you know, surgery and lymph nodes and if, if pills or infusions are required. But a lot of times it's not straightforward and we really have to use our colleagues, um, you know, put our heads together and use our best expertise to come up with very individualized 
treatment plans for the patients involving many of the different treatments I had listed previously. It's usually not just one one um, route of, of treatment. Mm-hmm. So it could mean bringing in a head and neck surgeon like Dr. Ferris, bringing in a general surgeon, a plastic surgeon, et cetera? Yes, quite frequently we are involving um, our colleagues in many different specialties, yes. Got it, got it. Um, Dr. Ferris, we um, at the Cancer Support Community strongly recommend that patients get a second opinion after a cancer diagnosis. With the diagnosis of advanced cancer, patients sometimes panic. They feel there isn't time to do that. Is there time, um, and, and if there is, at what point in the process do you think it would be most beneficial to get a second opinion? You know, it's, imp- it's an important question uh, that you bring up, and, and I think you also uh, bring up and, and put this on the table that when the patients hear the word cancer, they get um, certainly um, uh, concerned and want to just basically get it out of their body. Um, but I do think uh, these things don't occur overnight, even though it may have only been noticed by the patient uh, in the past, you know, uh, week or two. Uh, and we don't want to delay, that's for sure, uh, but we do have uh, a few weeks. Uh, you know, I don't think I like a cancer to sit on somebody's body untreated for more than a few weeks or a month, but that's usually plenty of time uh, to make sure that the treatment plan is the appropriate one. Uh, as Dr. Smith has been alluding to, these multidisciplinary uh, tumor conferences occur weekly um, because we want to make sure that we get to discuss a patient's case within uh, with the, the experts uh, within that week or so. Uh, so that really indicates that there is time. But I would also point out that although that's a good uh, rule of thumb to get a second opinion, uh, if you're at a, you know, a major center where there is a multidisciplinary uh, team uh, and the patient has confidence in uh, her physician and, and the team, uh, and uh, you know, it's clear that there is uh, frequent communication uh, I, I think um, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I would always say that somebody certainly doesn't need to leave town and, and go to some other center. Uh, most of the major cities do have the appropriate experts. Uh, so I think a second opinion is, is a good rule of thumb, but not always mandatory. If you've got Understood, especially if you're in one of the larger academic centers for your care. Um, Dr. Ferris, we're yeah. inching towards our, our, our next break here, but another recommendation we have at CSE is for patients to understand the goals of treatment with an advanced diagnosis, advanced basal or advanced squamous cell skin cancer. Is the goal to to cure the cancer? Is it to help control it? Is it to manage symptoms? Um, How should a patient think about the goal of an advanced cancer? That's a good question for the patient to make sure they discuss with their physician. Uh, I think cure is always the first priority if it's possible. Uh, Occasionally, when it's involving an important structure, Uh, like the ear or getting close to the eye or something else, then we do need to discuss, you know, what's it, what are we trading off? uh, What are we balancing? So cure, certainly, uh, probably list of uh, top 10, it's number one through nine, uh, you know, but sometimes we have to fix the pain or if it's bleeding uh, and address some of those things and we can't always cure them. But I think certainly that should be the priority and the patient should say, hey, are we going for cure? So they have the appropriate kind of treatment plan uh, aligned with what their doctor is recommending. 
Great, great, because I do think that's important. I think some patients think, oh, well, they're going to give me chemotherapy or they're going to treat me. I'm sure they're, tra- I'm sure they're going to cure me, you know, and I think it is an important conversation for, uh, you know, a patient to have um, with the physician, and these are the kinds of questions that patients um, should be raising. This is such a great conversation um, about these skin cancers. Um, we do have to take a quick break. We have a lot more uh, to discuss with our guests. Um, Dr. Smith, Dr. Ferris. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MagnoliaB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you by Regeneron and Sanofi Genzyme. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo. We're continuing our in-depth conversation about advanced basal and squamous skin cancers with Dr. Emily Smith from the University of Missouri-Columbia and Dr. Robert Ferris of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Hillman Cancer Center. I feel so fortunate to have you both on the show today helping us really understand these advanced skin cancers. There's um, a lot more to discuss. So I want to I want to jump back in. Um, you, you both in many ways represent different members of, of what is sometimes called a multidisciplinary team to treat these cancers. Dr. Smith, can we dig in a little bit deeper on that? That's a big word, multidisciplinary team um, that comes together to care for the patient. What does that team um, look like or could possibly look like, and, and what should a patient expect in bringing in different docs to sort of um, uh, be a part of that team? 
Well, I will say it is a great benefit when you're dealing with a, a cancer, particularly an advanced cancer, to have multiple different specialists involved because each bring their own unique set of expertise um, in developing the care plan for that patient. Um, for advanced skin cancers, um, the care team almost always involves a dermatologist or a dermatology surgeon, depending on where you're at. And so those are the, you know, the skin experts. Um, the, the dermatology surgeon may be something or someone called a Mohs surgeon, which is a dermatology surgeon who has special training in the removal of skin cancers. Um, many times other surgeons are also involved, and I would say one of the, the specialties that we interact with most frequently, as Dr. Ferris um, alluded to earlier, are our head and neck surgeons, our head and neck colleagues, because so many skin cancers do arise on the, the sun-exposed skin of that, the head and neck. Um, we interact with plastic surgeons, surgical oncologists, who are surgeons who can help us with cancers that are below the head and neck. Um, we use radiation oncologists, so doctors who are skilled in the use of radiation to treat cancers or prevent um, cancers from growing back. And then our medical oncologists, so the doctors who can help um, administer systemic treatments for cancer if the surgery was unable to remove it or if we're, we're trying to keep the cancer from growing back. And those are just the physicians. Um, we will often involve other specialists as well, social work, um, you know, dietitians, pharmacists, you name it, that the team can, can be quite expansive. So, so Dr. Ferris, will you, will you comment on that? So we talked about these, um, uh, some of the docs um, involved. But Dr. Smith is talking about dietitians, speech pathologists. Tell us about those members of the team, folks, other than the, you know, the sort of medical doctors like you two who are treating the patient. Yes, I, I think uh, Dr. Smith outlined, I'd say, the kind of core members, uh, but uh, the areas of the head and neck that can be involved, if it's the ear, if it's near the, the mouth or other parts of the face, certainly there could be issues with eating and good nutrition. Uh, I want to add one other person that occasionally, when an advanced cancer occurs on the nose or the ear, we actually have a prosthetic individual because amazingly some of our reconstructive options aren't as acceptable to the patient to try to rearrange tissue or put grafts and skin grafts on mm -hmm. the ear and sometimes the prosthetic ear or nose looks more normal and gets them back out into enjoying their life so even a prosthetic uh, individual can make a you know sort of a basically a replacement ear or nose in the very advanced cases but the dietitian needs to keep the patient well-nourished. Uh, that boosts the immune system and healing. I would also add uh, a comment and follow-up to one of uh, Dr. Smith's points about cancers being more aggressive in patients who have had an, an organ transplant, a liver or a kidney. And so sometimes we interact with the organ transplant team to try to change the medications and boost uh, their immune system back up that had been suppressed. Uh, to let the kidney or the liver. Uh, so the, the team is really quite complex, has great diversity in opinions and expertise. It's all focused around the patient, and it's patient-centered, and it's very useful for the physicians because we learn from each other, and we benefit, as you pointed out, from those experts in uh, nutrition, dietitians as well. 
and and so important for the patient to understand who those different players are on the team um, and the roles that they play, and ask uh, you know, and ask for them, ask for all of the resources that might be available to them, including uh, Dr. Ferris, the social workers. Uh, uh, we're one of the largest yeah. employers of oncology social workers in the U.S. The cancer support community, so we're always cheerleaders for our social workers. And I know sometimes these diagnoses can be very emotional can be very traumatic, can affect one's um, uh, physical appearance. Appearance. So, Dr. Ferris, I'm assuming the social workers and other therapists are an important part of the team as well. Well, all of the treatments we've been talking about are life-altering. Uh, yes. And very often, uh, the patient can't bring her or himself back and forth alone. And so they need somebody who has a bird's-eye view, knows how to access resources. There can be all kinds of impact on one's employment, uh, one's uh, ability to you know, uh, provide for their family and keep a job going. Yeah, let, let's let's dig in a little bit more, Dr. Ferris, on that impact. I know for some of these advanced skin cancers that appear on the face, the head, the neck, surgery can result in scarring. It can result in the need for um, for reconstruction. Um, can also interfere, as we had talked about, with eating, swallowing, breathing, talking, all of those things that we sort of take for granted um, on a daily basis. Can you, Dr. Ferris, talk us through how you prepare um, a patient for this surgery and how you help them cope with some of the possible sort of post-surgery challenges that they may expect? Sure. Uh, particularly on the head and neck, uh, there are so many important structures. Uh, that's where we interact, you know, where we smile and eat, uh, where we see and breathe and hear. And so it really has to be personalized. Uh, one has to assess the anatomy uh, that is involved by the cancer. Uh, as was pointed out, is is it affected uh, by the cancer itself, or might it be affected by the treatment, the surgery to remove it, or uh, providing radiation to a particular area of the body? There can be side effects. And so this is all what happens in a good, thorough consultation, uh, sitting down uh, and working with the patient so they understand, hey, this is... Uh, perhaps not involving the ear today, but for me to remove this, I will need to approach it because we can't remove uh, a very tight area where the only the, only where the cancer is today. It may require a bit of a margin, say a quarter of an inch, a half an inch, and that may take the surgical defect toward the eye, toward the lower eyelid, uh, maybe some of the underlying nerves. Uh, or toward the ear canal, for instance. So there's functional impacts uh, on the speaking, breathing, swallowing, the senses, but there may also be cosmetic aspects uh, since the face is the first thing we see in another human being. Uh, And so we try to incorporate all of that in our counseling, uh, and a good educated patient knows those things before they go to the operating room. Uh, Certainly some cancers can be more aggressive, uh, and even in experienced hands, Uh, The surgery may uh, get a bit more involved because what we do in the operating room is we send the edges of the the defect of the the cancer that's removed and have a pathologist look at them while the patient is usually uh, laying there so that we can be sure that we're done when the patient wakes up. Uh, And I think those things end up sometimes with a defect um, that can be sizable. And that's where you want to be in experienced hands. Uh, The fewer surprises the better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and hence back to the issue about, you know, making sure you're with the right team and asking, uh, certainly asking the right questions. Um, uh, Dr. Ferris, it's my understanding uh, that with some advanced skin cancers, lymph node removal may, may also be recommended. Can you explain to our listeners, please, what are lymph nodes? What role do they play um, in the body? And then share why their removal may be recommended. Absolutely. For an advanced cancer, this is a, a key feature is um, we obviously want to remove what the patient can see, what brought them to us. But we also know that the natural history or the biology of these cancers is that they can spread. That's one of the first things a patient asks is, did you get it all, doc? Um, has it spread? And sometimes we need to get a CAT scan to look at the extent of the tumor where we can see it with the eye, but also to look for whether it went to sort of the next phase, the next stage uh, in the body. And so our body has lymph nodes throughout it. it. These lymph nodes essentially are a filtering mechanism. And in a way, I think of them like um, all of the underground uh, tunnels that you get into with a manhole. And once you uh, lift up a manhole and go beneath, uh, you know, a given street, you can basically go anywhere in the city uh, in this underground network. And this is the sort of thing going on in our body. We have all of these channels where fluid is flowing, and our lymph nodes filter all of that naturally to help us fight infection uh, and so on. But cancers, when they occur on the skin, can burrow down, almost like getting into the manhole, and then spread along some of those uh, lymphatic channels into the lymph nodes. And so when it's an advanced cancer, uh, the next stage, the next step where an aggressive cancer may spread is to the regional lymph nodes. Uh, and they basically may be within uh, an inch or two of that particular cancer in the head and neck. It's often lymph nodes in the neck. Uh, you know, if it's a cancer of the cheek, then we're worried about uh, some of the parotid salivary gland under the cheek or in the lymph nodes of the neck. And the CAT scan can help us uh, to see whether a lymph node is involved. But even if we don't see evidence of lymph node involvement, sometimes a head and neck surgeon or, or another surgeon taking care of the primary tumor may want to also remove lymph nodes to be sure that we get one step ahead of, of the cancer. And sometimes we have to remove them as a preventative measure uh, and because CAT scans aren't 100% perfect even though they sometimes may suggest that the cancer has not yet spread. Occasionally, we do see microscopic disease in the lymph nodes uh, and, and need to be a bit more aggressive. Got it. Got it. Very helpful. Um, great explanation. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about advanced skin cancers with Dr. Emily Smith and Dr. Robert Ferris. We have um, more to cover um, in our next segment, so uh, please don't go away. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We will be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. 
Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo. We are joined today by Dr. Emily Smith and Dr. Robert Ferris. I'm so grateful uh, to both of you for finding time in your schedules to come on the show and share your insights and experiences with us. Uh, the time goes by so quickly, it's hard to believe we're coming up um, to the end of our time together. But just a couple more questions uh, before we do wrap up the conversation uh, today. Dr. Smith, before um, we continue, can you just take a moment to tell our um, uh, listeners about your specialties, dermatology and dermatopathology? Tell us what the focus of both is and, and what led you um, uh, to pursue uh, those two specialties in your career? Oh, absolutely. I would love to talk about this. Um, You know, pathologists are doctors who are trained at looking at tissue under a microscope and uh, making a diagnosis. And um, I serve in both roles. As a dermatologist, I see patients. I look at their skin clinically. I do the biopsies. And then what is really what I find to be one of the most fun aspects of my career, and I, I hope what is beneficial to my patients is that sometimes I, I am the one who takes the, the tissue from the patient and I go and I look at it under the microscope the next day. Um, and there is a really nice, um, you know, continuity of care in that what I see clinically, I correlate with what I see under the microscope or my colleague, um, you know, who does the same. Um, and and so I, I pursued this career because I, I very much enjoy Enjoy looking at tissue, sitting at the microscope, making these diagnoses, and helping patients receive the care they need. But I also really enjoy seeing patients. And so, um, in dermatology, it's really one of the only medical specialties where you can serve in both roles. You can be the pathologist and the clinician. And and I wouldn't have it any other way. Wow, that's so interesting. Really terrific. Um, Dr. Ferris, I suspect some of your insights into advanced skin cancers are thanks to your own 
personal expert, your wife, Dr. Laura Ferris, who is a dermatologist focused on skin cancer. Like you, she also works at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, Hillman Cancer Center. Um, do you guys interact during the day? Do you ever find yourselves on the same uh, team working with a patient? Well, we do, actually, pretty frequently. And um, what I've learned is a tremendous respect for the dermatologist's ability with, their, with the naked eye. Uh, and sometimes an aided eye with a little device, a magnifying device they call a dermatoscope, to really diagnose things and sometimes avoid a biopsy because they're so skilled uh, in what their eye can pick up. Uh, and so, you know, oftentimes I don't have to even do biopsies because I can get a good opinion uh, from an experienced dermatologist. Uh, I know Dr. Smith would agree that uh, that's where the collaboration helps because each specialty has their their own um things they bring to the table and their own skills. So I've learned a tremendous respect uh, to involve them uh, just from their diagnostic capabilities. And then, you know, sometimes dermatologists, uh, you know, remove a cancer and it's growing under the surface and needs to get another sort of surgical opinion from somebody perhaps like myself that can go bigger when the cancer needs it. And so it's always a bi-directional. We can sort of help each other out when the patient needs it. That's terrific. Um, Dr. Smith, I'm sure you love hearing, uh, <laughs> hearing about uh, Dr. Ferris's wife. I think that's great. And, I, and I, I will say I am also amazed whenever I go to my dermatologist. I go in with my little list of things. Well, is this a concern? No. Is this a concern? No. Is it? She said, but let's, 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 do a little, uh, let's do a little test on this. And I'll look at it and go, what is that? I had no idea that was even something I should be looking at. So I, too, have great respect for the, you know, the way that you guys do those examinations and your ability to see things, um, certainly that uh, us lay people are not able to see. Um, you know, at the Cancer Support Community, our, our, we have a research and training institute, and we created a cancer experience registry. It's a fairly lengthy online survey for any patient or caregiver going through the cancer experience. The goal is to identify and advance um, the understanding, particularly of the emotional emotional, social, financial needs of people who've been diagnosed with cancer. Our melanoma registry, and I know that's not as much the focus of our conversation today, but that registry has shown that body image is a, is a significant consideration for those patients, patients with melanoma. Dr. Ferris, would you say it's the same for patients with advanced basal and squamous cell um, skin cancers? What are some of the concerns that patients share with you and then share with their caregivers around issues of body image? Well, when they occur on the head and neck, uh, as I was mentioning, it can affect your ability to, uh, you know, smile, to go out in public. Uh, some of these cancers can be, you know, unsightly. Uh, and I think sometimes the patient I've seen even let them grow because they're afraid that the treatment may be worse than the disease. And I've seen sometimes these cancers grow bigger than I would have imagined a person could let uh, occur on their face. But I think that they're worried that, you know, the treatment itself, the surgery will make them disfigured, for instance. But, you know, reconstructive techniques and a good multidisciplinary experienced group of surgeons and sometimes doing a little bit of cosmetic touch-up afterwards, we can get people back uh, to looking uh, suitable so they feel comfortable interacting out in the world. And it's much better than letting a cancer grow mm -hmm. to where it's really yes. a problem. Absolutely. Dr. Smith, is, that, is your experience similar to Dr. Ferris? What are you hearing from patients and caregivers, especially about that issue of body image? Yeah, definitely. And I, I would add that, um, you know, when it comes to body image, tanning, you know, having a, a tanned appearance to one's skin has culturally been desirable for many years. And 
when when a patient comes in and we tell them, you know, that either the the tanned skin may have contributed or that you've got to be really careful, you can't tan any further. This, not just for our younger patients, but for our older patients, can can be um, quite a, an issue in coming to terms with. It seems like a minor thing, but but it really can be a big social change for a patient. Um, you know, not only avoiding that tanned skin, but also finding ways to protect and prevent can be you know a little socially challenging for some going forward. So in addition to, you know, the scars and the surgical changes that occur, the simple things about our day-to-day lives um, can be a big, a big um, hurdle for some of these patients, for sure. Right. Well, I think we've also come a long way with self-tanners, lots of good, you know, creams and yeah. sprays and things out there that give a, give a pretty good natural look. So that's, uh, that's good to know that we have an alternative, that's for sure. Um, we're getting to the end of our show here. I'm going to ask you both just very quickly um, advice, a, a, a good piece of advice, a tip that you have for someone who's just being diagnosed with one of these advanced cancers. I'll start with you, Dr. Ferris. Just a quick tip or piece of advice. Well, I would say as soon as you um, identify it, get in to see your doctor. If the wait is more than a week or two, uh, I would say you want to find another place because even the busiest centers will find a way to get patients seen soon. And I think we see it as an important issue so that the treatment doesn't get to be more extensive than it needed to be. And we move very quickly uh, at major centers. So if, if it seems like it's too long to get an appointment, I would say find a more experienced place uh, as we call them, high-volume places, because they tend to get people in quickly and get them treated quickly and appropriately. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, and you have to be your own, you know, best advocate. You have to really push um, for yourself to get the care. Dr. Smith, same question to you. Tip, advice for someone just diagnosed or who has concerns? You know, I would say any diagnosis of cancer is scary, and certainly an advanced skin cancer can feel even scarier. Um, but I would just encourage um, anyone who has just been diagnosed or is going through treatment to know that our knowledge of these types of skin cancers has grown rapidly and that treatments are really phenomenal, you know, be it surgical or medical. Um, we have really, really, really great um, options, multiple options for, for patients. And I would just second the notion that getting to a, a big center where there are experts on board who can develop a very individualized care plan and implement it quickly is going to help. Uh, it's going to go a long way to, to getting that cancer treated. Outstanding. Certainly great uh, uh, great advice from both of you. I'm so grateful uh, to both of you for being with us on the show today. Um, your insights, information, expertise has really been invaluable, and um, we so appreciate you sharing that with our listeners today. It's my uh, pleasure to have all of you join today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, Executive Chair of the Cancer Support Community. Um, uh, as mentioned earlier in the show, the Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, telephonic support free support for anybody with any cancer at any stage of disease. You can visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org or you can call our helpline right now and speak to one of our navigators at 888-793-9355. Again, it's cancersupportcommunity.org or call us at 888-793-9355. I'm Kim Tebaldo. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well.
Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. 